to the Gospel of John, John chapter 1. Two readings from John, first in Gospel of John chapter 1 in the Pew Bible, page 1127, and then we'll read a few verses from chapters 2 and 3. The readings are taken in connection with the teaching of God's Word summarized in the Catechism of Lord's Day 3. That teaching concerns the nature of our fallen condition, just what exactly is wrong with mankind. That's sort of the focus of Lord's Day 3 and of the preaching this afternoon. So John uh, writes in, in his Gospel, chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We turn over a few pages to chapter 2, verse 23. Now, when he, and that's the Lord Jesus, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs unless you do, that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? 
Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So far, the Scripture... I invite you to turn with me in the Book of Praise to page 519, 519, where we have the Word of God summarized by the church in Lord's Day 3. And there we ask in question six, actually I'm going to back up to Lord's Day 2 a little bit just to refresh us with the context. We'll go to question three. From where do you know your sins and misery? From the law of God. What does God's law require of us? Christ teaches us this in a summary in Matthew 22, and we heard that summary this morning. We're very familiar with it. Then question five, can you keep all this perfectly. No, I am inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. And then comes Lord's Day 3. Did God then create man so wicked and perverse? No, on the contrary, God created man good and in his image, that is, in true righteousness and holiness, so that he might rightly know God, his creator, heartily love him, and live with him in eternal blessedness to praise and glorify him. From where then did man's depraved nature come? From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. For there our nature became so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. But are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil, Yes, unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. That's Lord's Day 3. In response to the preaching, we'll sing uh, from Psalm 36. There's a bit of a misprint in the bulletin. It won't be hymn 36, but Psalm 36. We will sing hymn 36 at the conclusion of the service, but after the sermon, it'll be Psalm 36, stanzas 1, 2, and 3.
Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, in uh, the pre-confession catechism class, we've been reading our way through the canons of Dort. And time and again, we have come upon the Bible's teaching that's summarized under the term total depravity. That same teaching is mentioned here in Lord's Day 3, answer 7, from where then does man's depraved nature come? Well, that's in the question, actually, this mention of depraved nature. That's not an everyday term for most of us, also in the catechism class. So we talked about it a few times as a class. What does depravity mean? What do you think it means? Well, when you dig into it, that word depravity comes from a Latin root. The root is pravitas, which means crooked, distorted. And when you add the little prefix de, that prefix can mean different things, but in this instance it serves to intensify the meaning of the verb. So it, it ends up being meaning completely crooked, completely distorted, completely bad. So what we're learning here in Lord's Day 3 as well as in the canons is that the Bible teaches that human nature is all on its own just by itself. It's completely crooked, totally crooked. Now there's some questions about that. Just what is meant by totally crooked? Just how crooked is crooked? How sinful is humanity? That question keeps coming up in our pre-confession class, and it might be a question on more of our minds as well. One student asked not too long ago, is there really sin in every good deed that we do? Is it not possible to do a single simple act of kindness that has no sin in it? It was an honest question, and it deserves an honest answer, which we hope to discover together as I bring you the gospel summarized by the church in Lord's Day 3 under this theme, we're all dead in sin unless we are born again. We're all dead in sin unless we are born again. We'll see that the two points, loving darkness is the norm, the norm for us humans, and loving light is the miracle, the miracle for us Christians. Well, it's helpful to see how the catechism itself uh, unpacks the concept of depravity right here in Lord's Days 2 and 3. You can trace it back from uh, question 7 to question 6. Did God then create man so wicked and perverse? And you can trace that back to question and answer 5, Lord's Day 2. I am inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. That's the confession we make in Lord's Day 2 based on Scripture. So, Man's inclination toward hatred is what is called in Lord's Day 3 wicked and perverse. And then it's, it's that that's given the description depraved nature. 
So our nature is so completely crooked that it's a nature that leans toward, it veers toward, it, it wants to go toward hating my neighbor and hating my God. Now, in Lord's Day 3, the catechism wants to get at the origin of this crooked nature. Did God create us this way? Is it God's fault that I've got this hatefulness inside my heart? And answers 6 and 7 immediately clarify that no, God created mankind just the opposite. God created us with love in our hearts, with a righteous and holy nature so that the human family could prosper in knowing God and loving God and serving God and living with Him in, in joy day by day. No, the, the problem of our depravity did not come from the Creator, but from the creature, from us. Our very first parents, Eve and Adam, Adam who represented the whole family of the human race, they rebelled against God's simple and doable command not to eat from the one tree in the center of the garden, and when they rebelled, we rebelled with them. We are in Adam. He's our representative. So, it was you and I and all of humanity standing there in the person of Adam so that when he disobeyed, we disobeyed. And we've been suffering the consequences of that ever since. And it's those consequences that I want to zero in on today and ask just how bad is it with the human family? We have fallen into sin. We can admit that. We understand that. But just how far did we fall? Just how corrupt are we? It's a tough issue because nobody likes to talk a lot about sin anyway, and nobody likes to think they're all bad. People don't like to think that there is no good inside of other people. If you were to ask a random person on the street, a non-church-going person, if they believe that every human is inclined uh, to hatred and corrupt through and through, you would get a fair bit of pushback on that. People can be bad, they'll say, but there's a lot of good people out there too. Some people are corrupt, but even the worst ones have some redeeming qualities about them. There's, there's a little bit of good in everyone, you know. Some people even put this in terms of a belief, an actual faith or a credo. I have faith in humanity. You can hear that in many different settings. Mahatma Gandhi was one to say that. I have faith in humanity. You have to have faith in people. And when bad things happen to a person and they experience someone stepping in to help them and give some relief, that person might say, ah, you have restored my faith in humanity. This is the common belief of millions of human beings about themselves, about the human race. But is that the assessment we go by? Because the crowds think a certain way, and everybody seems to agree that this is the truth, is that the measuring stick we use? We have to remind ourselves that as Christians, we go, we go by not what 
people say, not what the masses say even, or philosophers or anybody, but we go by what God says in Scripture. The measuring stick to assess people and all of reality is the Bible. After all, who is in a better position to speak the truth about humanity's condition than the Creator? He not only knows our makeup, our physical and spiritual makeup intimately, but God watched us rebel in the garden. And He knows the punishment that He's laid down upon us, injustice. So we have to settle this in our minds right, right away. Whatever our gut instinct might tell us about the human race, whatever we might feel is true about other people, whatever message the movies and the novels convey, whatever you hear from your neighbors about this issue, the one and only source of truth that we can turn to and believe is what the Lord God says. So what does the Lord God say about mankind? Well, not too long after the fall in the Garden of Eden, the Lord gives a, a pronouncement of man's condition. Maybe you'd like to turn with me for a moment to see it for yourself. It's quite um, clear. It's in Genesis 6. It's quite clear and it's quite alarming. Genesis 6 verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. That's one of the most damning assessments of what is in man's heart in all of Scripture. It's saying that about me, about you, and about every human being. Every intention of the thoughts of our hearts are only evil continually. That's us by nature. This is what total depravity is. Sinful thoughts all the time. Thoughts that go against God's will 24-7. That's what prompted God to send the flood, to wipe out the, this this extremely saturated with wickedness mankind that he had made. Only we know, and God knew, it was a temporary slowdown at best for that human nature lived on in Noah and his wife and in their descendants. So the earth became populated again and the wickedness started to mount up again. And later in Scripture, the prophet Jeremiah describes the human heart this way, chapter 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Your heart and mine, by nature, our hearts are not even able to judge themselves accurately because they are blackened with sin. We and all people are born unclean. We're born impure, as Job says in chapter 14. And this isn't just an Old Testament assessment or condition. It's the same in the New Testament. Paul teaches 
exactly this from Romans 3. We actually read it this morning. Let me quote a few verses. For we have already charged that all, both Jew and Greek, are under sin, as it is written, and then he quotes the Old Testament to apply to the New Testament reality just the same. He says this, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. Not even one. That's the Holy Spirit's assessment of us, the human family. This is a condemning description which later led Paul to exclaim in the letter to the Ephesians that as human beings, as offspring of Adam and Eve, we are children of wrath that he describes as dead in sin. Ephesians 2 verse 1, we are dead in sin, spiritually dead. Well, now you can see that Lord's Day 3 is not stretching it or pushing it or making anything up when it says we are so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good. Now, you have to understand that by good, we mean, the confession means, what is good in God's eyes. We'll talk in a few moments about the deeds of kindness that unbelievers do to other people, but for any deed to be good in the Lord's eyes, that deed has to be done out of love toward Him and toward His glory, and it has to be done in accordance with His will. And even the kindest act of an unbeliever is never done out of, the, out of love for the Maker, is it? It's always, therefore, part of, of a rebellion that's going on. The, the, an unbeliever has no regard for God, so no matter what they're doing, it's a rebel act. It's comparable to thieves helping thieves or members of the mafia doing a good turn to other members of the mafia. Those helpful things among themselves don't suddenly make those people law-abiding citizens that rulers will commend. No, they're still rebellious citizens. We have to let this reality, this dark reality, sink in and let it penetrate our thoughts. For it's only when we see how bad it is with humanity will we then come to see clearly our need for the Savior that God has provided. Apart from God, humanity is this is dead in sin, or as the apostle describes, Apostle John, with a different metaphor in the chapters we read, mankind is darkness. He doesn't even say living in darkness. It, he just characterizes mankind as darkness. We read that in John 1. John 1, that famous chapter where he writes about the unique Word of God, whom we know as Jesus, the Son of God. And then John says in verse 4, In Him the Word was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
The darkness is the human race, you understand. That darkness stands in opposition to the light that the Son of God brings into the world. The darkness of the human race even wants to swallow up the light if it could. The Lord Jesus Himself comes to the same conclusion. John in chapter 2 first tells us about Jesus' reaction to the many people who started to, to believe in Him. At the end of chapter 2, John says that when, then when Jesus saw many people believing in His name, uh, they did that after they saw the miracles. Then He makes a comment about Jesus. Jesus on His part did not entrust Himself to them because He knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for He Himself knew what was in man. Jesus knew what was in humanity, and because of that He would not entrust Himself. Mankind was not safe for Jesus, the Son of God, the light of the world. Giving Himself over to the crowds would have been letting darkness overtake the light. Jesus knew that humanity is dark with natural rebellion and hatred. And that Jesus Himself says as much overtly in chapter 3, which we also read. 3 verse 19, those who do not believe in the Son of God, says Christ, they are already condemned because of that fact. And then Christ explains a little further Verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Jesus came among the Jewish people. That was his entry point into the world. And he discovered that his own covenant people loved the darkness instead of the light. That's eventually what led him to be crucified. The nation turned its back on him. And why did they love the darkness? Because they themselves were dark. They, their works were evil, says Jesus. That's the nature, you see, of every man, woman, and child born to Adam, born to Noah. And it's that darkness inside of us. That's the cause of all the misery in this world. That's behind the storming of the Capitol Hill last week in Washington. That's behind every other criminal activity in every society of the world. And this is behind the godlessness, too, of so many people and groups who control the airwaves and the media channels and pump our screens full of talk that is anti-God and anti-Christ and anti-Christian. There's talk and there's suggestion and there's innuendo that shows hearts inclined to hate God and hate neighbor. You see it everywhere. Brothers and sisters, loving sin, loving self, hating God, loving the darkness... That is the norm. That's the norm for fallen humanity. There is no good in the heart of man. 
That's one of the devil's lies to keep us from thinking we need a Savior. If people can keep believing that while there is some redeeming value in man and there is some good in everybody's heart, then you don't really need a Jesus, do you? But the truth is the hearts of people everywhere by nature are desperately dark and if God had not sent the light of Christ into the world, our reality that this world that would be like, a, like living the Lord of the Flies or Planet of the Apes or Brave New World or Animal Farm or 1984, that would be our reality. Or any of the other dystopian catastrophes that man has conjured up where sin is given its full reign. That is the bad news. It's the true assessment out of God's own word that describes our horrible condition. But thanks be to God that He also gives good news. The good news that into that darkness shines the bright light of Jesus Christ who has come to remove us from spiritual death by giving us spiritual birth. Lord's Day 3 mentions this bright ray of hope at the end in answer 8. Are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? Yes, unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. That's the unless of the gospel. That word regenerated literally means to be reborn. Or, as we are more used to the phrase, as we read it in John 3, born again. We are unable to do any good. We are inclined to all evil unless we are born again, says Lord's Day 3. So tell me, brothers and sisters, are you born again? Are you a born-again Christian? It's not an expression or a question we hear a lot in church life. It's not a question that the elders tend to ask at home visits. We tend to hear about that question or that idea of being born again more in the evangelical world Evangelical Christians are more used to describing themselves as born again. And maybe that's what makes us shy about using this expression because we associate it with, with Pentecostals perhaps or uh, other in-your-face type of Christians. Well, whatever cultural anxieties we might have about that term born again, the fact is it's right here in the Bible, John 3. And the Lord Jesus Christ puts it to you and to me in black and white, same as he put it to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Not only is it in the Bible, but it's here in our catechism. So it's as reformed as the day is long. It's also in the form for baptism. We and our children are conceived and born in sin and are therefore by nature children of wrath. That's Ephesians 2 verse 1. 
and 3, so that we cannot enter the kingdom of God unless we are born again. Every baptism we hear that, unless your child is born again. So each of us, you and me, every person baptized needs to be born again. It's biblical. It's reformed. So brothers and sisters, what answer do you have to the person who questions you, are you born again? needs an answer. Well, to answer that, you first need to know what it really means. And I think there's some confusion about that, maybe. Well, John in his gospel has been working with this idea. Perhaps you could turn with me to John chapter 1, those verses we read. John has been working with this idea of birth and rebirth. And he says this in John 1, verse 12, but to all who did receive Him, that's the word, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Those who believed in Christ were given the right to become children, children of God. These are not physical offspring, but spiritual children who were born not in any physical way of blood, nor born of human will, but who were born of God. That is, God's will brought them forward. So John is already implying here that mankind has no ability to bring itself forward in spiritual life. Mankind is dead in its sin, and it's in need of new life. It has to be infused or given a new birth. And that birth, spiritual birth, comes about by the Spirit of Christ. That is Jesus' point to Nicodemus in chapter 3. A dead person cannot bring himself to life, right? We know that. You can go to the graveyard up the street here at the church, around the church building, and you can talk to the gravestones as much as you want. I could preach up a couple of sermons. They're not coming back to life, not until the day of resurrection. And they certainly aren't going to bring themselves from the grave. That's our condition in spiritual realities. We are in spiritual darkness, enslaved to sin, dead in our transgressions, with zero ability to break out of our spiritual death and start living for God. Such a birth cannot happen by human will, but only by divine will. That's what Jesus is saying in chapter 3, verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Born of the Spirit. Reborn of the Holy Spirit's will. So, brothers and sisters, you, you don't have to be shy or timid or afraid or nervous about the question, are you born again? It's just another way of asking has the Holy Spirit planted true faith in your hearts? Are you a follower of Christ? If someone were to ask you that, are, are you a follower of Christ? Are you a true believer? You would 
probably have no hesitation in saying, of course I am. I, I'm a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I'm a Christian. And because you are a true believer, because the Holy Spirit has gone to work in your heart and caused you to come alive in your spirit to be reborn as a child of God, you are in a different position now than you were before. You are able to truly do some good in this world, good that is pleasing in God's eyes. James was talking about that as we saw this morning, but here in Lord's Day 3, the good news is that while we are totally depraved in our old nature, we are born, we, or we are born again in a new nature, and out of that new nature comes new works. Out of that new nature comes a love for God and a love for neighbor, and we are indeed able to begin to please God out of the new nature. As the Spirit brings us to life, as, as we are spiritually alive, we start to hate the darkness and we start to love the light. That's what the Lord Jesus is saying again in John 3. Verse 21, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. These are works in God, generated in us by the Spirit of God. This is the great miracle of, of your life and mine. The Spirit comes to us. And he, he brings us out of our natural darkness into the light of Jesus Christ, and we start doing things. What do we do? We start doing the works of Christ, the works of God. We start doing acts of loving obedience to all of God's commandments. A born-again Christian is one who produces the fruit of good works to the glory of God. And some people are born again by the, by the Holy Spirit in a quick and dramatic fashion, like the Apostle Paul or like Matthew the tax collector. And that's okay if that's somebody's history. Other people are born again bit by bit over the long haul as their mothers teach them to pray, as their babies and toddlers, as their mothers teach them the Bible stories and how to understand them, and as their fathers model for them the Christian walk and teach them other things about the Lord, and as grandparents also interact and teach and explain things to their grandkids. But either way, whether it's a, a, sh a quick, instantaneous conversion or whether it's a, a slower growing in faith, either way, being born again, it's a game changer for any human. Once you're born again, once the Holy Spirit is in you, once the light of Christ is in a person, you're no longer dominated by darkness because by grace you have obeyed the call to step into the light. The light of Christ and the love of God now dominates your world. So Christians follow God's commandments. That's how we are salt in this tasteless world which ignores God's commandments. That's how we are light in this darkness which wants nothing to do with obeying the Lord. And that's one of the reasons you'll find unbelievers sometimes talking about having faith in humanity. Because as the Holy Spirit through Christians sprinkles salt and 
shines light here and there and everywhere around the world as God multiplies good deeds through us, there is a certain level of kindness and there's a certain level of goodness that people can see in general. They credit man when they see this, but in reality it's often God working through Christians. But even when it's unbelievers, unbelievers do acts of kindness for other humans. Even that happens only because God restrains the evil in the hearts of men and women. He preserves some order and decency in the world. But humanity itself has that evil heart underneath, and it's like a pent-up dam of evil. And if the Lord should ever remove His restraining influence, we would have injustice and madness and insanity and evil and oppression like we saw in World War I, like we saw in World War II, and maybe like we're seeing right now in our world today. It's ramping up again, isn't it, in the Western world? also in China, in the East. When the checks of God's hand are removed, mankind, mankind goes evil full out. So, beloved, don't get caught up in man's love affair with man. And don't put any faith in humanity. Gandhi was totally wrong. Put no trust in princes or kings or philosophers or poets or any man except the man, Jesus. He's the one to trust. He was sent to be the light of the world and by His death and resurrection has overcome the power of sin that is at the root of our problem, the very power that controls the hearts of every human. Remember that without Christ we are dead in sin, but with Christ, with Christ, we are born again, all our sins being covered over by His blood and forgiven, so we are alive in Christ's Spirit. We are able to breathe in hope and able to breathe in strength from above and then breathe out good works for the benefit of our neighbor and the glory of our God. Our old nature remains in us depraved, but the new nature is growing and it is overcoming the old nature bit by bit until one day that new nature shall be radiating fully and completely from us, shining out the pure light of Jesus from inside out. That'll be the day of our complete salvation. Amen.